Hey, this is Joe Caminetti Jr. Welcome to the BC Podcast. We hope it inspires you and helps you in your journey with Jesus. Enjoy the message. All right, well, hey, we wanna welcome everybody that is joining us from everywhere. If you're joining us on Facebook Live or YouTube, wanna say a big welcome to you, believers.cc. If you could do us a favor real quick, why don't you just click the share button, uh, check in, let people know where you are. There might be somebody that could really benefit from what God's gonna speak today. Wanna also welcome all of the guys at TCI. We are so excited that you are joining with us. And of course, don't wanna forget all of my family at BC Boardman. I know. Uh, Pastor Joe is with you today, and uh, the band just led you in worship. You're having an incredible Sunday. It's Baptism Sunday on, in the 1045. It's just a good day to be in church. So right here in Warren, can we make some noise and welcome everybody that's joining us all over the place? If you're new to BC, my name is Joe, and I get to serve as the campus pastor along with my wife at BC Boardman, and um, we are just honored that you're here with us today. And uh, we are gonna we're gonna dive right in. I just want to give a quick plug for next week. Pastor Joe will be continuing in the Future America series. I think this is like my favorite series so far we've ever done. We've never had a more timely series. And if you missed last week, I would encourage you like go download the app right now, look it up, and listen to it and catch up. And week two is gonna be so good. But I want to start by just I want to ask you a question. I want to talk to all of the parents, maybe the grandparents in the room. I don't know about you. But any time that I go to a birthday, there's this thing that happens. And, and I, I have a lot of birthdays that I've been to lately. And in my family, we have two beautiful kids, uh, Joey, who is 11 years old now. He's in sixth grade, which means I'm old. <laughs> there's no getting around it. Like, I have a sixth grader now. And, and then I have a beautiful daughter named Riley, who's nine. And all of our birthdays in our family are from, like, spring through summer. So we have a lot of birthdays all at once. And I don't know about you, but just confession time here as a dad. As much as I love and appreciate and am so thankful for all of the amazing relatives, especially grandparents who just shower our kids with gift after gift every birthday and Christmas, I don't know about you, but sometimes I'll be watching them open up these massive boxes and these toys, and, and I'm happy for them, but simultaneously, I'm calculating how long it's going to take me to put it all together. Can anybody relate to this? And um, man, it's like, oh, a thousand piece Barbie doll playset you shouldn't have, grandma and grandpa. You really shouldn't have. <laughs> Kidding, I love grandma and grandpa. No, but man, it can be grueling like Christmas. You stay up till 1 a.m. And I'm not gonna pretend like I wrap the gifts, but my wife wraps the gifts and I eat cookies while she does it. And then you go to bed super tired and, and there's something about, I'll tell you one thing, if you're not a parent yet, here's one thing you gotta get used to. Waking up out of a dead sleep and having a child staring lifelessly into your face, six inches from you, feeling hot breath. I mean, every morning, especially Christmas, they'll jump on you, they'll get you out of bed at 5 a.m. You go downstairs and, and like, an hour and a half of wrapping is undone in 10 minutes, and then you spend the next five hours putting everything together, right? Like, this is the life of a parent. And I love it, but the one thing, the one thing that keeps me going through all of it is this picture on the outside of the box. Now, first of all, there's a label on the outside of the box. What does it usually say when you're putting something together that has a lot of pieces? It's the understatement of the century. It usually says, some assembly required. Right, some assembly, you know? And I am like the least handy person in the whole world. I can barely use a screwdriver, and that's not even a joke. And, and so the thing that keeps me going is the picture on the outside of the box. Like, I'm a visual person. I like seeing a picture of what something could be or what it should be. I like seeing a picture of its potential. I'm a visionary. And so 
that picture keeps me going through the grueling process of assembly. Now, 2,000 plus years ago, Jesus is overlooking this region called Caesarea Philippi. It's a very wicked place. It's a sinful place. And he's got his disciples there. And he's showing them a picture, a vision of this thing that he's going to be building called the church of Jesus Christ. And it's amazing. He's saying, hey, you're actually going to be in on this. You're going to be a part of it. And he makes this pretty iconic statement. Most of us have heard it. He said, I will build my church. And Peter's like, Jesus, what's a church? And Jesus is like, just chill out, Peter, hold on a second. And then Judas is like, I don't know. That sounds like a really expensive building project as the treasurer. I don't think we have the funds to make this happen. And Jesus is like, don't worry about it, Judas. You're not even going to be around for any of this. And <laughs> Thomas is like, we're going to change the world. I doubt it. <laughs> See what I did there? <laughs> but Jesus just powers through. And then he makes this statement with this backdrop of a city that is living in darkness. He says, no, 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 we are gonna change the world and not even the gates of hell can stand against it. And so it's pretty remarkable. Then he, he says, look, you as my disciples, as my followers, you are gonna take what you've learned over the last three years and you are gonna build this church and we're gonna build it on togetherness and community and connection. It's gonna be incredible. So they did exactly that. Jesus dies and resurrects, and then he's ascended to the right hand of the Father, and, and the church starts growing, and it grows rapidly. I mean, from like 144 people in the upper room to 3,000 the next day, and, and then it goes to tens of thousands of people, and ultimately hundreds of thousands of people. And about 60 years later, there's this shift that's happened in the church. And you have to remember, at the very beginning, anyone that started these local churches they had seen Jesus with their own eyes. They had experienced what Jesus had done. They'd seen the miracles. But there, there came this moment where people were only hearing about these experiences through others who had been with Jesus, and they're facing persecution. Although the church has grown, it has also grown because it's been scattered because of persecution, and so it's a very tough time. And some people are actually thinking about turning back. They're actually saying, I don't even know if it's worth it to follow Jesus, to associate with him. Life actually got harder after I decided to follow him. And that is, that is the backstory of Hebrews 10.25. Now, one verse earlier, it says, let us consider how to stimulate each other on to love and good deeds. And then it says, not forsaking our own assembling together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So I guess it's safe to say that Jesus is saying, I'm gonna build this church, and if we're gonna build it together, there is some assembly required. There just is, there's some assembly required. Now, we are living in what experts call a disruption, which makes me laugh, because you don't really have to be much of an expert to see that it's a disruption, but it's been a, it's been a crazy year. I think we could all agree with that. I don't even know what the last couple of months are gonna look like, but I'm sure they're not gonna be normal. I can promise you that. It's been a disruption, and disruptions, here's what they make us do. They make us look at what we're doing, and more importantly, they make us ask the question, why are we doing it? And so you see this with Fortune 500 companies, like these companies that earn billions of dollars, they're asking, why are we structured the way we're structured? Like, we're pumping millions of dollars into brick and mortar locations, and now people can't even go in there and work with them. We could actually have them work from home, and we could make double the profit and have half of the investment. And so they've changed because the why informed the change. The why informs what we do. And some parents are in this boat. 
I know for us, we've just reevaluated our life. And after experiencing what it's like to not be committed to like 15 things and having family time, I'm seeing a lot of families say something like, hey, instead of five or six sports a year, we're gonna do one and we're gonna spend the rest of the time as a family. And so those are all really beautiful things that have emerged out of a really difficult time. But I think the other thing that's happening is people are, they're also asking, why church? Like, let's be real, because for the last 20 or 30 years, church attendance, it's no secret, it has been on the decline. And we live kind of in a really cool situation where we are a growing church in a shrinking community. That's not normal. Anybody that kind of grew up in different circumstances, you know it's kind of a peculiar thing and it's really beautiful. But then COVID happens and it accelerated this cultural shift. And the church was already not being attended very often, but now it's completely diminished. And, and people are asking, why church? Like, this is a good question to ask. I'm gonna actually kind of blow your mind right now. And as a pastor, if you're not asking this question, I'm gonna invite you to ask it because I really believe there's something to having a conviction about what we're committed to. But this is a real question that I've processed with real people. Like, hey, if the church isn't a place, but it's a people, like if we don't just go to church, but we are the church, then why does this matter? Why does coming together and worshiping in a building matter? And I actually think that's a really great question. And so for the next few minutes today, at every campus, online, wherever you're watching, I just wanna build a case for why church. Why does church matter? Because I really believe that church matters now more than ever. And here's what I want you to hear me, I want you to hear my heart. It would be really easy to hear a pastor saying, go to church, and think you're, you're sounding a lot like a pastor right now. So I'm gonna ask you, I'm gonna ask you to do something. Can you set aside the fact that you know I'm a pastor? And I will talk to you as a pastor today a little bit. But can you just hear this coming from a fellow follower of Jesus? Just somebody that acknowledges this has been a crazy year, but I think there's still hope. I think God's still moving, and I think he's still speaking, and I really still believe in this thing called the church. And so I just wanna be really transparent with you. I, I think y'all know this, but I'm a pastor's kid. And so I grew up in church. And I was asking my mom yesterday, like, you know, how old was I when I came to my first service? Like when you put me in the nursery for the first time. And she texted me right back and she said, I'm pretty sure you were two weeks old. And so I have spent one week not in church my entire life. And I've been terrorizing the church ever since. Come on, somebody. <laughs> no, but I still, I mean, to this day, there are beautiful people that have been coming here all my life, they, the church started three years before I was ever born. One of them is Sue Horner, and every time I see her, she says, I love you, honey, and I say, I love you back, and I mean it with all of my heart, and she changed my diapers, and she'll remind me of that. <laughs> but I, there, this, is, this is my home. I've never been in another church, as a matter of fact. So let me be really honest with you and really transparent. This is the place. As a matter of fact, this building is the place where people have lied about me, have wounded me, have let me down, have offended me. But you wanna hear something crazy? I still love God's church. Like, I don't even know, I couldn't quit it if I tried. I, yeah, we can give it up. Everybody that loves God's church, let's make some noise. I just, I can't explain it, but maybe this verse kind of puts it into words the best. Psalm 8410. I want you, instead of hearing me say, you should go to church and you better get your butt here. And, and you be, I, I want you to hear it more like, this is what it could look like. This is how God's changed my life. And I think he wants to do the same thing in yours. This is Psalm 8410. One day spent in your house, this beautiful place of worship beats thousands spent on Greek island beaches. 
He says, as a matter of fact, I'd rather scrub floors in the house of my God than be honored as a guest in the palace of sin. You know, it's true, it's true that all those things I said, I've experienced them. I've experienced hurt and pain and loss and letdown. I've experienced that, but you know what else is true? This is the place where I heard God speak to me for the first time. This is the place where I accepted God's call on my life. This is the place where I experienced God's presence in worship for the first time. This is the place where I met my wife. Come on, somebody. I, I met her at a church camp. This is the place now where I'm watching my kids grow up and they're developing a passion for Jesus. And here's my favorite one. This is the place where I have developed lifelong relationships with other followers of Jesus. I couldn't quit it if I tried. I love God's church and I just wanna encourage you. And I want you to see something. You can't take it out of the Bible. It's everywhere you look. There is a power when God's people gather together. There just is. There's a power when God's people gather together. There's a great example of this in Acts chapter two, verse one. This is called the day of Pentecost. And remember, the disciples, they could probably relate to us being stuck in our homes, afraid of what's going on all around us, because at this point, they are being beaten for saying the name of Jesus. There's so much suspicion and worry uh, it's not a popular time to be a follower of Jesus. The church hasn't even really gotten its start yet because they're waiting on the Holy Spirit that has been promised to them by Jesus. And he made a pretty crazy statement. He said, you will receive what? Power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And they're like, what's the Holy Spirit? Like they don't, they don't know what he's talking about. So they're, they're locked up in this upstairs room, all of these people. And I love how, it, I love how this verse starts in Acts 2.1. It says, on the day of Pentecost, they were all together in one place. And here's, here's what I want you to see. When we gather, God moves. When, when we gather and we commit to coming together as God's people, there is a power present in that place. And uh, I, I don't know about you, but I think the devil, I think he's smart. And I think he recognizes that every time God's people get together, it's bad for the kingdom of hell. So he tries everything he can to stop us from gathering. Now, Matthew says a similar thing. It says, where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. And so gathering, when, when we gather, God moves. There's a power to assembly. Now, one of my favorite movies right now, it's up there as one of my favorite movies. It's just like everything a blockbuster should be. It's Avengers Endgame. Do I have any Avenger fans out there? Um, in the comments on, on Facebook or wherever you're at, why don't you just tell us you're a favorite Avenger? I think, I think I'm Iron Man. I fluctuate between Iron Man and Captain America. It depends what day, depends which movie I'm watching. Just being real with you right now. And, but you know what? I think I like Captain America the best because he has my favorite catchphrase. As a matter of fact, at the very end of Avengers Endgame, there's this massive fight that's about to go down. And remember, it's Captain America and Thor and Hulk and Iron Man, and they are trying their very best to come at Thanos, but they're failing like royally. And, and then you could see tens of thousands of these people in the army on Thanos' side, and it looks like they are down for the count. They're gonna loop some footage so you can see what I'm talking about, but there's this one moment where Captain America says these two words. You remember what he says? He says, Avengers, assemble. And then in an instant, these portals are open from all over the Marvel universe and you start to see the reinforcements coming from all of the different places and you begin to see the full power backing them. And even if the enemy looked insurmountable in that moment, they knew we have enough people on our side. And it just took these two words. It's the power of assembly. 
And I felt like God was saying that this is what happens even in our lives as believers. That sometimes we're looking at what the enemy is doing in our life and in our world, and it seems insurmountable, and it seems too big for us to overcome. But when God says believers assemble, then all of us come together from wherever we are, and together we're able to do so much more than we ever could apart, because when we gather, God moves. It's incredible to watch that. And so I just wanna talk to you about a few things that we can find only when we gather in God's church, only when we're committed to assembling together. I've got five things as a matter of fact, so I wanna jump right in. Here's the first one. The first thing that we find in God's church that we can only find here is connection. Now the world will try to mimic this and and offer counterfeits in its place, but there's nothing quite like being connected in a local church family and community. Ephesians 4.16 says it this way. It says, from him, meaning Jesus, the whole body joined and held together, or another way to say it would be connected, with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, it makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. So what is this scripture saying? It's saying every piece matters. Every piece has a purpose. Have you ever been to that glorious store known as Ikea? The, the place where they let you do all the work and uh, you save some money, but I don't know if it's worth it. I really don't. And uh, have you ever gotten like halfway through a project and you're building like your couch that's gonna last a year and a half and, and then you realize, you realize that you're missing a piece? Like, is there any more frustrating feeling in the world than missing a piece? You know what you start to discover? Sometimes even the smallest pieces make the biggest difference. This is how the body of Christ works. Every part plays a role. Every part has a purpose. And, and we all are a part of something that's so much bigger than any one of us individually could be. And they even talk about in the Bible how some of the parts that are unseen in the body are some of the most important parts, and it works just the same way in God's church. And so connection being connected to God's people is so important. That's why our vision is we exist to see a city, what? Connected with God. And we'll never see a city or a region connected with God if we're not committed to connecting with his people first. And remember I said the enemy does not like it when we connect. He would love to divide us. He would love to get us in factions over here and over here, worried about side issues instead of focusing on bringing Jesus to the world. And so he'll stop at nothing. And he's winning in our world right now. You know, Great Britain, I heard this just a few days ago and I thought it was really crazy. About three years ago, they recognized that there was what they called an epidemic of loneliness in Great Britain. And so their answer for that, the prime minister, he appointed a minister of loneliness. Not making this up, would you, can you imagine that on your business card? Business, I'm, a, I'm a minister of loneliness. This was his job. And it's also they could curb this problem. They're saying it's an epidemic. And do you want to guess which age group is struggling with this the most? It's Generation Z and it's millennials. And I don't know if we've ever had a world that is more socially connected and spiritually disconnected at the same time. And America's not doing much better, honestly. Um, they're, they're conducting these polls and these surveys, and in a recent survey, they discovered that 40% of the Americans that were surveyed said they are close to no one. They have no meaningful relationships built into their life. And so all of us, if we're not careful, we can kind of just adopt what the world would say is connection, and it's this very surface connection. 
and, and we're friends with thousands of people and we follow thousands more, but we don't have one true person that we could say we're really close to, that we're really doing life with. And if you look in Genesis, in Genesis chapter two, most people would say that the first problem that mankind encountered was sin. But I don't think the first problem was sin. I think it was solitude. Because God looked at Adam and he said, it is not good for man to be alone. Our connections matter so much. And here, here's why connections matter. Uh, if you want a, a catchy statement to help you remember this, I, I really believe this because connections shape our calling. Your connections shape your calling and it's for the good or the bad. There's, there's been research done that tells us that we are the sum total of the five people we spend the most time with. Not even your closest friends, just the five people you spend the most time with. And I want you to think about that. The more time you spend with people, you start to look like them, you start to dress like them, you start to talk like them, you start to eat like them. You know, I heard this crazy thing. They said that if you tally up the average of your five closest friends, their income, it will average out to your income. Some of y'all are thinking, I need to get some better friends. Like, <laughs> kidding, kidding. No, but our connections shape our calling, and the early church knew this. And so they determined that we will never make disciples with a 30-minute message on a Sunday in a latte and a goodbye. Like, there's gotta be something deeper that happens, and I wanna say it this way. Discipleship happens daily. Discipleship has to happen daily. It cannot be relegated to a few minutes on a Sunday. It's gotta be a daily commitment to build disciples. And there's a great example of this uh, in so many scriptures, but let me give you two. This is Hebrews 3.12. And it says, take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. But I like this, it says, but exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. So what's he saying here? If we wanna go the distance, we have got to be committed to discipling others and being discipled daily. If we wanna hold firm to the end and hear, well done, good and faithful servant, we've gotta be committed to doing this thing daily. Acts 2.46 is another great example. And you hear right now this debate raging where some people are saying, listen, COVID is proving this. The church was always supposed to be in homes. The church was always only supposed to be gathering in small groups. And then there's other people that are kind of digging their heels down and they're saying, no, 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 it's supposed to be mass gatherings. And I just want you to look at how they phrase this. And this happens over and over again in the New Testament. Acts 2.46, and day by day, attending the temple together. This would be big church, big gatherings. Some estimate that at times it was 30 or 40,000 people that could gather together to hear them speak. They would do it in big church. And then it says, in breaking bread in their homes. This is small groups. They received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And here's the result. When they were committed to being discipled daily and doing life together, the result was the Lord added to their number. How often? Day by day, those were being saved. I hope you're seeing a pattern emerging here. Discipleship happens daily. And this is why Hebrews 10.25 says, we need to assemble all the more as Christ's return approaches. 
And I am, a, I am no scholar or theologian when it comes to the book of Revelation. There's a whole lot I don't understand. But one thing I can tell you is the last few weeks even have been pretty interesting, even with peace in Israel and some of these things that have been talked about and prophesied. And however you interpret that, you might be on one side or the other, but can we all agree that it seems like Jesus could return tomorrow if he chose to? I'm not, I'm not saying he'll return tomorrow, but I'm just saying he could. And I wanna be ready. And I wanna have a church full of people that are ready for the moment that our Savior returns. The best way to do it is to be connected. Here's the second one. The second thing that we can find only in God's church is protection. It's protection. And I'll say it this way. Every one of us needs a spiritual roof over our head. We need a place to call home. And I've watched this pattern emerge, especially in, in our day and age with the culture that we have now. I, I think uh, all of us could acknowledge that there has never been a lower bar for commitment to anything. We live in an unsubscribe, unfollow culture. And I am as guilty as the best of you. I mean, like, if there's something that doesn't happen right with my order on my mobile app, then I try the other mobile app. If I'm disappointed by service here or if I don't like this, it's one of the most gratifying things in the world to just say, unsubscribe, unfollow. You could just get on a roll, unfollow, unfollow, unfollow. You know, we've all been there. But if we're not careful, we can even take this, this approach in our culture and we can, we can apply it and superimpose it on the church. And so we can approach God's church and, and we kind of expect everything to be customized and catered to our convenience and our preference. And if it's not, then we just, we find somewhere else. And I think it's an epidemic in our, in, in our church, the global church. We have so many faithful members here, but I recognize there are a lot of people watching right now. And this might be something you could say, man, I see a little bit of this pattern in my life. And so I hope you hear this in love. I love you. I'm just saying this because I think it could help you. I think we'll call it spiritual homelessness. Or maybe you could call it Christian couch surfers. And you could usually tell these people within the first minute of the conversation, because you ask them, hey, where are you coming from? And you have a home church. And they'll usually say, I don't know, I don't really belong to any church. I go to this church because I love the worship. And man, I love the pastor's teaching. I love how he feeds me at this one. And I love the slide at this one church. This one church has an incredible playground and, and my kids can slide down the slide and uh, they slide right into their seat. It's pretty incredible. I mean, I'm exaggerating a little bit, but we've all, we, we've all had these conversations. And if we're not careful, we kind of just belong everywhere and therefore belong nowhere. And if you ever talk to someone that is homeless, here's what I've discovered. They're usually homeless for a reason. So maybe it's because of pain from their past or brokenness or addiction or uh, maybe it's because they have never seen a functional family. They've been in dysfunction their whole life. So they conclude, therefore, I do not need a family. And I watched this happen in church. And God told me today, I'm just gonna obey him. He told me there's gonna be somebody watching. Maybe it's here in the room. Maybe it's online. And you decided just recently, I'm done with my church. And, and it's because somebody offended you and they hurt you. And, and I feel like God's just telling me, give it another chance. And the selfish part of me would love to be like, you should come to Believer's Church, but I'm not gonna do that. I just, I, I want you to hear that I would rather you be planted where God placed you. And you can't be planted in two places and you can't have fruit until you have roots. And so it might just be a decision that you make to weather the storm. Now hear me on this. I don't mean spiritual abuse. I, I don't mean um, that it's, it's not the shepherding movement that so many of us are familiar with from the 90s and 80s. I'm just talking about, we've gotta have a spiritual roof over our head. And I want you to hear this. 
If you would say, I fall into any of those categories, I'm not mad at you, I'm sad for you. And I would love for you to see what you're missing out on because here's what's really happening for homeless people in in the real world and homeless people spiritually. They're missing out on the benefits of belonging somewhere. Because there's something about having a place where people know my name and they know they know my story and they know my stuff and they know when I'm not there and they miss me and they come looking for me. There's something about having people like that. There's a spiritual protection that comes with it. Let me give you one example. This is Acts 20, 28. And this is the apostle Luke and he's talking to pastors in the early church. I mean, they have just gotten started. And so he's instructing them on what it looks like to pastor in a local church community. He says, so guard yourselves and God's people Guard them. So it's a plan of protection. In, in one scripture, it talks about not domineering over them or telling them what you want or how you want it. It's, it's a system of care. It's how we care for people in God's church. So guard them. Feed and shepherd God's flock, his church, purchased with his own blood, over which the Holy Spirit has appointed you as leaders. And so if this scripture is true, and I could give you three or four more that that build a case for the same exact thing, then what it means is everybody is appointed to have a pastor somewhere. And it might not mean that you see your pastor every day. The biblical model is that we equip the saints to do the work of ministry and the body ministers to the body. Oh, but we gotta have a pastor somewhere that knows our name and knows our stuff and is willing to help us and protect us and walk us through whatever it is that life throws our way. I just want to ask you, do you have that in your life? And if you don't, it, it doesn't have to be Believer's Church. There are a, a ton of amazing churches. If, if this isn't your style today and you're just visiting, see us after service and I'll recommend five other places where I'm friends with the pastors and they would love to meet you. And I, I guarantee you, God will meet you in that step of faithfulness. So protection. Here's a third one. It's direction. I cannot tell you how many times I have had two decisions, two directions, two paths that I could take. I'm so thankful that I had people built into my life, pastors and connect group leaders and and my dream team leaders and, and people that are just friends to me, people that could give me good advice. Like the Bible says that there's a wisdom in a multitude of counsel. So here's, here's some advice. If all of your best friends, if they're all saying don't do it, then you probably shouldn't do it. God has a system set up to guide us and encourage us and even direct us. And Colossians 3.16 is a great example. It says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. Now, admonishing means to advise and at times to urge. It can have a sense of you're going this way, but you gotta go this way. Hebrews 10.24 says, spur one another on to love and good deeds. Have you ever seen a spur on a cowboy boot? It's not comfortable, but if the horse is going in the wrong direction, they can spur them and they they just redirect them. It's just a course correction. It's a little bit uncomfortable for a reason, but it helps them go on the straight path. This is what God wants to do. He wants to help to direct us. Now we'll breeze right through that one. Here's the fourth one. I wanna camp out on this for a minute. The fourth thing, I know this is gonna be your favorite. This is my, my favorite personally. It's correction correction. Yeah, there's, I'll ask you this. I'll I'll ask it this way. Who do we have in our lives that can sharpen us, that can spur us, that can challenge us? Who can say, cut it out, knock it off. 
Your zipper's down. There's a bat in the cave. I don't know. Who do we have that can be honest with us? <laughs> we have a, a guy at, at Boardman. He's one of my favorite people. His name is Dave. And Dave always has fresh breath and mints. And he's gotten to the point now where if, if your breath is, you know, you got that coffee church morning breath thing going after the first service, he'll just, he'll just put a mint right there. You know, like, doesn't even have to say anything. A mint, you know? Who do we have in our life that can ask us the tough questions? You know, um, John Wesley, who is the founder of the Methodist uh, denomination, really a general in the faith, wasn't, wasn't perfect, but did so many extraordinary things to advance God's kingdom. If you study into it, what you start to recognize is the method that they bought into was actually doing life in smaller groups. He believed that the best way to pastor and care for and guide people in God's church was to work through other people and do ministry together in these smaller groups. And they would gather in mass in groups on the weekends, but then they would still get together. And his theory was you've got to get close enough to ask hard questions. And so by the miracle of technology, as I was researching this, this is pretty cool. Um, you can actually read some of the questions that they had in their small gatherings. These were questions that they would ask each other weekly. So they might sound a little bit dated, but man, uh, these are really good questions. And so imagine that your friend, uh, th this person that maybe you know has buy-in into your life, you can trust them. They're not just Joe off the street. They're your friend. These are the questions they would ask you weekly and you would ask them. Have you been in a compromising situation this week? Have any of your financial dealings lacked integrity? Have you viewed any sexually explicit material? And obviously hundreds of years ago, this looked very different. This is all the more important, can we agree, in 2020? Have you spent quality time in the Bible, in prayer? Have you given priority time to your family? Have you fulfilled the mandates of your calling? And here's the best one, this is my favorite. They really asked this. Have you lied to me about any of your answers in the previous questions? That's a, real, that's a real thing that they would ask. Can you imagine somebody getting convicted? Yes, pastor, I lied, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Listen, I'm not saying tell everybody what I'm saying. He's gotta have somebody. There's gotta be somebody in your life that can speak truth to you. And as somebody that can openly admit that I have been corrected many, 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 many times, mainly by my parents and my wife who I've, I've given permission to correct me. Can I tell you that I've honestly got to the place, this is the, the God's honest truth, I have honestly gotten to the place where I crave correction because every time I'm corrected, I watch God grow me. And every time I'm corrected, I watch God move in my life in a new way. The Bible says that God chastens or corrects those that he loves. So I actually wanna, wanna say be encouraged if you're getting corrected because what it means is God's got a lot of confidence in you and he's not finished with you yet. And he'd love to do so much more through you if you could just embrace the process of correction. And I don't wanna get this wrong. Just yesterday, I wrote this down the way I felt God spoke it to me. It's a pretty strong statement, but I really believe it. It's not even commitment till I get corrected and I stay anyway. It's not even commitment until somebody rubs me the wrong way or challenges me or even corrects me. And I say, I'm still gonna, I'm still gonna root in God's church. I'm still gonna do what God called me to do because I know this is how God works on his people. The Bible says faithful are the wounds of a friend. An enemy stab us in the back, but friends stab us in the front. 
And so we gotta build some people into our life that can speak the truth and we start to grow and God starts to use us in an even bigger way. All right, you endured the first four. Here's the fifth one, much more uplifting, literally. The, the fifth one is elevation, elevation. This is the fifth thing we find in God's church. And there's, a, there's something I have found that is so amazing when, when I have people build into my life that can lift me up and encourage me. I want you real quick to think through some of the closest friends in your life, and I want you to think about this one thing. Do they lift you up or do they tear you down? Do you have any people in your life that are encouragers? Maybe here's a great question for just to personalize it. What's it like to be on the other side of me? When people are around me, do they feel uplifted and inspired and closer to God, or do they feel the exact opposite? Here's a great test, and this will help you to identify who your true friends are that are uplifters. When you see that, that name come up on your phone, do you get excited and wanna press the green button, or do you get worried and send them, send them to voicemail? Does it send your heart into palpitations, or do you get excited and say, that's somebody in my corner, that's somebody that's for me, that's somebody that loves me? Maybe ask yourself, how do I make people feel when my name comes up on the phone? I don't know. Just trying to help you here. No, but there's this incredible moment that I think illustrates this so beautifully. It's, it's happening during the ministry of Jesus. It comes in Mark chapter two, verse three. It's about the, the four dudes who broke through a roof to get their friend to Jesus. I like how one preacher said, everybody needs four crazy friends who are willing to do whatever it takes to get you to Jesus. Listen to how it reads. Some men came bringing to him, bringing to Jesus a paralyzed man and carried by four of them. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof. And I always wonder, how did the homeowner feel about this? Like my roof, you know? Jesus, I hope you have insurance. You know, like just never think about that, but. So they opened a hole in the roof above Jesus by digging through it and then lowered the mat the man was lying on. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, son, your sins are forgiven. Oh man, who do you have in your life that can pick you up when you're paralyzed by fear, when you're paralyzed by anxiety, when you're paralyzed by doubt, when you're, when you're paralyzed by sickness and all of the things that come at us, who can pick you up and carry you closer to Jesus? You know what I love? I love that it doesn't say that the man's faith made him whole, it says his friend's faith made him whole. Sometimes we gotta just borrow some faith from some of our friends in the moments when we don't have any ourselves. Who do you have that can elevate you and lift you up and get you closer to Jesus? You know, when I think about some of the lowest moments in my life, some of the moments when I honestly just wanted to give up and throw in the towel, I think back to some of the people in my life that loved me at my lowest, that lifted me up at my lowest point. And I'm just forever thankful to them. Can I give you an example of something that happened just this week? You know, I don't think it would be any crazy confession for you to hear me say that this year has been hard and when you throw in a transition and taking on a new role, I've never been more energized, never been more excited about the opportunity and the challenge of pastoring the beautiful people of Boardman, Ohio, of reaching the surrounding communities. We're ready to rock and roll. The best days are in front of us. But I'd also be lying if I said that 
I've never felt more fear. I've never felt more anxiety try to grip me. I've never heard more lies from the enemy. And just last week, I was just having one of those days where the enemy just kept coming at me and he kept saying, you don't have what it takes. Do you honestly think you're gonna be able to lead through something crazy like this? Do you honestly think you can do what, what all these other great giants of the faith can do? You can't do this. And I've known God long enough to know how to combat those thoughts with, with the word of God. And, and so I would just speak those truths over me, but it was just a rough week, just being honest. Well, last Sunday, we got done with one of the longest days I've ever had in ministry, but one of the most fulfilling. You know, we get up at 6 a.m., get out to Boardman. We're there all day. We didn't even go home. We just stayed there, and then we had team night at 6 p.m., which was incredible. But then we cleaned, and by the time I'm getting back to my office, it's like 10 p.m., I'm tired. And I saw that I missed a call on the phone. And it was from probably one of the most encouraging people that I know in my life. His name is Pat Butcher. And I missed a call from him and I serve on a board with him. So I thought maybe there's something important. Maybe there's an emergency. So I called him right back. And it was so cool. I'm alone in my office and I have this moment with God. And he says, Joe, he's from Kentucky and he's hilarious. And I'm not gonna even try to do his voice, but he said, Joe, I wasn't even within 500 miles of thinking of a Caminetti and you popped in my spirit. And he said, I'm just gonna obey God. He said, it's not long, but I feel like I'm supposed to say something to you. He goes on to say some things that had been going on in my mind that no one else could have known about. He didn't even know uh, some of the things that had happened in, in the last couple of weeks. And then he says these words, and I'll probably remember them the rest of my life. He says, God told me to tell you that you can do it, that you and Aaron have what it takes. And I put you there. And if I called you there, I equipped you. And that's the end of it. And so I tried to be strong and hold back my tears. And I said, thanks, Pastor Pat. And, but get this, God is so good because throughout the week, I, I kid you not, I think it was five people total that I don't really talk to a ton. A few of them I do, but some of them, I, I'll catch up with them once a year. They texted me that week and they said, I just wanted to let you know that you've got a plan on your life and God's plan is bigger than any obstacle you can face and he's with you. I mean, they all said the same thing. And I'm like, okay, God, I get it. I get it. I'm in. But you know what else I did? I, I reached out to people that, that I have relationship with and I just acknowledged, hey, I'm feeling weak right now. I'm feeling empty. Can you help fill me up? Like there's something about even just acknowledging where you are, but God always answers and he loves to elevate us. And so let me end by, let me end by asking you this question. You might be the person that is on the mat right now and you need some people to carry you and that might be why you need to jump into a group and you need to do life with people. But listen, some of you, life has never been better. And you're thinking, I got all the friends I could ever need. Why does this message apply to me? Listen, it's because freely as you have been given, freely now you're called to give it away. Some of us are on the mat and we need carried. And some of us are standing next, next to friends on the mat and we are called to carry them. So I don't know which place you find yourself, but I wanna ask you today to take a step. At every campus, on Facebook and on Instagram and I wanna to talk to the people that right now you're social distancing and you would love to be here, but you just can't. Listen, so long as you can find these five things happening in your life, do it virtually, but fight to make it more intentional than ever. And there are 21 groups this semester that you can do virtually right from where you are. So you could be connected and you could be protected. You could be loved and elevated and even corrected. You could be all those things right there online. So I just wanna invite you to take a step. 
And if, man, if, if it's been like one of those seasons where you're like, man, this is a message where I know God's challenging me just to jump back in. Man, I would say jump back in. Never been a greater time. The world has never needed what you have inside of you more than right now. So I wanna invite you to bow your heads and close your eyes at every campus, on Facebook, on YouTube, believers.cc, TCI, Warren and Boardman. Let's bow our heads. Let's have a moment with God. Now, I just wanna invite you if you're hearing about this man named Jesus, and you could honestly say, I've always known about Jesus, but I can't say I've ever personally known Jesus. That's the difference between a religious knowledge of Jesus and a relationship with him. And he made you to know you and be known. And he says, in a world that would tell you there's all different ways to the Father in heaven, he says, I'm the only way. As a matter of fact, I'm the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. So there's two categories today. There might be someone that you say, I have been far from God, but I wanna come back. I, I wanna pray with you to take a step back. Come back to Jesus. He's not mad at you, he loves you. But some of you can never remember a moment, maybe you even always believed that Jesus is God, but you've never made him Lord. Some of you have never heard this good news before. That's what the gospel is, it's good news. And today, you're gonna pray this prayer for the first time. And listen, it doesn't mean you're gonna be perfect. It just means you're gonna take a step every day to become more like Jesus. You're saved in a second, but you learn over a lifetime. So I wanna invite everyone at every location to repeat this prayer after me. If you believe it in your heart and you say it with your mouth, the Bible promises you'll be saved. Let's pray this together. Say, dear God, thank you for Jesus. Thank you that he gave me his very best when I was at my very worst. I repent, I turn away from the sin in my life, the areas where I've missed the mark and fallen short. If I've been away from you, I come running back to you. You're my father, I'm your son, I'm your daughter, I am a Christian. I call Jesus, my Savior and my Lord. And I won't be perfect, but every day I'll follow you. Hope you enjoyed today's podcast. There are a couple things I'd love for you to do. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. That helps us spread the word and impact more people. You can also help us see others connected to God by investing today at believers.cc give. And if you want updates on all things Believers Church, check out believers.cc or follow us at A City Connected on Twitter and Instagram or search Believers The Connecting Place on Facebook. The best way to connect with BC is live and in person at one of our weekend worship experiences. We have locations in Boardman and Warren and you can get the service times and plan your visit at believers.cc. Thanks for tuning in to the BC Podcast.